with the 20th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Ladies and gentlemen, draft week is here. Can you feel the intensity here inside the NovaCare Complex? We hope it's transferring to you out there experiencing the Journey to Draft podcast presented by AAA. I'm Chris McPherson, joined alongside by my co-host, Bo Wolf. Hello. And Fran Duffy. Hey, guys. So last year, leading up to the draft, we did a beat writer mock draft podcast and we had so much fun doing it. it was so informative that we felt we should bring it back once again this year and the i know it's not the best exercise because we're not going to do trades or things like that but i think you get a it decent, is the best exercise let's, let's the keep them on the hook we'll keep on but i think you learn so much about what some of the other team insiders are thinking you know their thought processes maybe the national consensus will say the Buccaneers are going to select Jameis Winston, but the person who covers them on a day-to-day basis might think otherwise. And you'll learn that for, I think, a bunch of the other it's like the It's like uh, mock drafters saying the Eagles will draft Landon Collins because they need a safety, while we know or assume believe, yes. believe that Landon Collins is not the kind of safety the Eagles would be looking for. That would be a silly pick. That the, I think uh, you know, we're talking to people who follow their teams like we follow the Eagles, so uh, we should, we should get, get some good insight. And we also have some national draft experts mixed in as well. So they know the team's needs and can project which player in the pool would best fit. So, gentlemen, you want to jump right into it? Let's yeah, let's it. get to it. Okay, so starting off here, representing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Jenna Lane from Fox Sports 1. She's the Bucks correspondent. She's also the Bucks insider for Sports Talk Florida. Jenna Lane, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are on the clock. Who will they select? Jameis Winston, quarterback, Florida State. Now, I know a lot of people have been asking, has this recent lawsuit that's been filed, has it have any impact on the Bucks' decision to draft him? Nobody's come out to me point blank and said, this is the guy that we're taking, but I feel pretty strongly that this is the guy they're going to take. And I also feel, and I've talked to a number of people about this, that this isn't going to impact their decision one way or the other. They expected this lawsuit to come out, and they expected it to come out around this time. So... With that being said, the Bucks they feel they've done their homework on him. And the one thing, the one um, underlying theme that I've gotten from enough people that have talked to him about Winston is that they, they view him as more of, of, you know, just a guy that has some growing up to do, maybe has some maturity issues. I spoke to general manager Jason Light at the Combine about this, about, you know, how can you be sure with some of these players, these players with off-the-field concerns, a guy like Tyron Matthew, whom we drafted at Arizona, how can you be sure that they're not going to have any problems once they get into the league? And he told me, you have to decide whether a player is merely immature or a bad person. And so that's something that's really gone into the decision process here. If they do, in fact, surprise us all by taking Mariota, I think that that more than anything would have come down to an ownership issue. But I think that the ownership also got recent reassurance from the fact that they had an event in Tampa with all these sweet holders. And they played highlights for both Mariota and Winston, and Winston got a huge response. And so I think that between that, the fact that Winston also attended a recent charity function for Mike Allstott and was warmly received there, I think that that's giving ownership more and more of reassurance that this decision is going to be received okay by fans as far as on the field goes, because a lot of people are also pointing to interceptions with him. Do the 18 picks and the 25 touchdowns concern me from last year? One thing that I, because I've asked around about this, and I spoke to a former executive about this, and he 
said some really enlightening things, and he actually pointed to Peyton Manning as an example. Some of these guys, as they're developing, and these are the guys that ultimately end up engineering those game-winning comebacks, they're able to put a team on their backs. They have to learn how to push the envelope. And as they're learning in this process, oftentimes it means that as they're, they're walking that fine line, as they're walking to that edge, sometimes they teeter over the edge, and sometimes they do ultimately fail, and they make these mistakes. But in order for them to grow and develop and learn how to push that envelope and when to versus when to play it safe, they have to make these mistakes at first. And he kind of pointed to this past year, the fact that he was working without Kelvin Benjamin, he pointed to that as a clear example of that. So he thinks that surrounding him again with NFL caliber talent and things like that, where he's not having to force things as much as he was last year, he thinks that that will be better for him and that ultimately he'll be able to make a better transition into the league. It's surprising to me how comfortable it seems that the Buccaneers are with Winston at this point. Bo, you've been yeah, driving I mean, the train that I wouldn't, they should go Mariota. If, if, listen, if you miss on a first round on the number one overall pick as a general manager, that's it. You're done. I would not stake my job, my livelihood on that kid, on, on him being the face of your franchise. Uh, I just, I wouldn't do it. I don't, I don't believe in him. Um, if I had the number one pick, I would, I would take Marcus Mariota or I would deal out. I, I, I do not. And I also, I don't believe that the, the risk of his off-field stuff is out, outweighs, or I believe it does outweigh the reward of him as a prospect because I don't believe that he is a, a lockdown number one overall prospect as a quarterback. He, you know, he threw so many interceptions last season. Uh, he's not super mobile. I just, I don't see it. I think if they take him number one, I think it's a mistake. Yeah, we and we've talked about it in the past, guys, is that uh, you know the differences between Winston and Mariota. When you look at the Bucks and the issues that they've had along the offensive line, uh, you would hope that with Mariota, a guy that's obviously mobile and can avoid pressure, but then also what he can do in the quarterback run game can kind of hide some of those deficiencies they've got on the offensive line. Winston, that's going to be you know the jury's going to be out as to whether or not he can do that. Uh, there are some pro style traits that obviously are translatable to the NFL, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out how they start to stack the board around him. Obviously, they've got a lot of weapons on that side of the ball. We saw them draft Mike Evans a year ago. Uh, still need a good amount of speed there on that offense. How does that uh, reflect? Because Winston, don't forget, he played with one of the best offenses in college football, a senior-laden offensive football team, uh, and they you know, they had their ups and downs. They're going to have four linemen drafted. He had Benjamin last year, Rashad Green both years. Nick O'Leary is going to get drafted. Yep. Two, two backs this year that are yeah. two ba- a back this year that can get drafted, a back, back last, last year, year that can get drafted. It's. I mean, he had a, a ton of weapons at his disposal. All right, so Winston to the Bucks at number one. Now, does the drama begin here at number two? Making the selection for the Tennessee Titans, their general manager is going to be Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy. Dan, who do the Titans take at number two? Marcus Mariota, quarterback, Oregon. As the Tennessee Titans, uh, we have a, a significant need at the quarterback position to ensure that we can be competitive in our division. This year, there are only two uh, real difference makers that in the next three years you can expect performance out of, Mariota being one of them. may not be an ideal fit scheme to scheme uh, year one, but we can make some adaptations early on to maximize ability. Or we might have the opportunity here to flip this pick, whether beforehand or after we select him, uh, to move down and acquire other assets. 
All right, Dan. Well, if the if the pick is not a quarterback, if it's not Mariota, if it's not Jameis Winston, if if Jameis Winston falls, is there another position that you would have pondered there, or is it you know quarterback or bust for the Titans there uh, in your mind? From uh, how the, the needs are on the board, um, there have more depth in Tennessee at D line and outside linebacker, um, and would have more of a need at wide receiver. However, with uh, where the board probably falls, I would look towards someone who can uh, help rush the passer. You can never have enough of them. If one of those guys that they re-sign gets injured, uh, they'd go right back to having a need. I might look at a Vic Beasley as an outside rusher based on the system that they implement uh, if I didn't go with a quarterback. All eyes are going to be on this number two pick when Thursday night rolls around. There's a lot of speculation about whether the Eagles will move up to this number two spot. But I guess the consensus belief is that Mariota will be selected here. It's just a matter of which team. Yeah, everybody seems to believe it. And, you know, I think from the beginning of the draft process, we said quarterbacks would go one-two probably because uh, that's the value of quarterbacks in the NFL. I, you know, we believe – I believe that Mariota is the best quarterback in the draft. Uh, I think that he probably does go to, whether it's to Tennessee or to somebody else. It will be interesting to see if it's vice versa. If Mariota goes one, right. how far does Winston potentially yes, that's fall? A good, that's a good question. How prepared are the teams for that scenario? Right. Yeah, and I mean, if you, if you don't go quarterback there, or let's say, let's say the Titans don't want uh, Marcus Mariota, do they take him instead and try to see if they can get a deal done afterwards, like, like the NBA, uh, where yeah. guys get drafted and then maybe hours later, days That's after Sanders. the fact. So risky, uh, they make, though, because then no, it's like, no question. you got him, all right? Yeah, you, you, lose, you, lose. You, you lose value so much once you've already made the pick. Yeah, your leverage goes down the, you know, goes down the toilet. So uh, it's going to be really interesting. I think you know, Dante Fowler and Leonard Williams, play, you know, in that 3-4 scheme that they've got there in Tennessee, both make sense there for them in terms of schematic fits. But, I mean, with the quarterback sitting there, it's almost uh, too good to pass up in terms of the value you could potentially get back. There's some buzz that maybe Amari Cooper gets to that number two spot. Some people view him as the best prospect of this year's draft, so maybe that's an option there it's as possible. well. So, number three, the Jacksonville Jaguars are now on the clock here in our Beat Writer Mock Draft podcast here. And J.P. Shadrick from Jaguars.com is going to make the selection. J.P., who do the Jaguars select at number three? Leonard Williams, defensive tackle, Southern California. He's the best defensive player in the draft and the first defensive player off the board. He can play multiple positions along the line. Uh, the Jags really need kind of an outside rusher as well. He could probably fill that role, too, if you really needed him to, but almost like a J.J. Watt. He can move a number of different places along the defensive front. Uh, and to put him in with Jared Odrick and Cinderick Marks and Roy Miller in the middle, that's a pretty good foursome. Uh, if everybody's healthy, to, to rotate in and out. So uh, they have some needs, but he can fill some of these needs, but he's still the best player on the defensive side of the ball. That's why you got to go with Williams. J JP, was there any thought whatsoever to one of the edge rushers, a guy like Vic Beasley or Randy Gregory or Shane Ray? Yeah, I think Dante Fowler Jr. would have been probably at the top of the, the list of edge rushers that they would have considered just because they know him well. He's an hour and a half down the road from here in Florida. Um, he knows the Jaguars organization well. He fills that, that immediate need for an edge rusher, a Leo and Gus Bradley and Bob Abbott's defense. But I think just because this guy, Williams, is so much uh, stronger and just an overall better type of player right now, I think that's why you take Williams over uh, an edge rusher in this instance. All right, so the first non-quarterback is off the board, and some people believe that Leonard Williams is indeed 
the best overall prospect, not just defensive prospect, but overall in this year's draft class. Any surprise? Because there seems to have been a lot of connection between Dante Fowler going to the Jaguars and Gus Bradley. Yeah, Fowler has said that he he believes he gets no further than Jacksonville. He thinks if he's on the board, the Jaguars will take him. Uh, you know, certainly JP is, is, is closer to the situation than I am. I would guess that they would take Fowler over Williams, but uh, Williams is certainly considered perhaps the safest player in this draft class. We've had that discussion before. Uh, he makes sense. Obviously, everybody thinks Gus is going to go defense here to, to help that defense, but I think wide receiver is a possibility as well, but Leonard Williams off the board. Yeah, and I, I think if he were to go to the Jaguars, just in terms of his body type and his skill set, I think he almost plays that that Red Bryant kind of role, what, they, what he played for the, uh, for the Seahawks in the past, and then when he played for uh, Jacksonville last year. I think he's more that strong side defensive end as opposed to a penetrating three technique that they've got already down there. And the question is, is that worth is that value worth the number three overall pick? Right. Can you get that guy later? You know, And so uh, I would agree. I would, I would think Fowler would be the, the pick there. This is the, the probably the biggest surprise so far in the first three picks. All right, so number four, the Oakland Raiders are now on the clock and making the selection for the Raiders is John Middlecoff. You might recognize the name because he is a former West Coast scout for the Eagles. He's now a co-host for 95.7 The Game in the San Francisco Bay Area. John, who do the Raiders select at number four? Okay, with the fourth pick in the 2015 NFL Draft, the Oakland Raiders select Amari Cooper. Obviously, a team desperate need of a explosive wide receiver, a go-to playmaker, uh, a guy that can really grow with their young quarterback and Derek Carr. And to me, this is a no-brainer pick. And the future of the Raiders really lie in the young man from Alabama's hands. John, why Cooper over Kevin White? I just think he's more polished. He is more pro-ready. Uh, and given the Raiders' situation, they don't have the ability to pick a guy on potential. They need guys that can just come in and play right away, solid football players. When, when Sometimes when the word potential gets thrown out there, that, that's where you run into busts and you run into guys that never quite live up to their draft status. And to me, Amari Cooper is just much more just ready to go from day one. He's proved at the highest level in college football. He really, there, there's not an element to his game that I don't think translates to the next level. And I, I think, I, I just think this is an easy choice. All right, as Milkoff explained, the Raiders want a guy that can step in from day one. They don't have to worry about potential, and that's why they're going with Cooper over Kevin White in that spot. Yeah, it, it makes sense. You want a guy, especially if you're going to pair him with a young quarterback uh, that you feel better about right away. Uh, as opposed to you know trying to you know bet on what he can be in the future, Cooper makes sense there. And you know my you know I'm a I'm an age guy. Amari Cooper, <laughs> the most polished receiver, but also very young, 21 years old. I think uh, he can step in right away and, and be a player for a long time. And this would be the spot too if Leonard Williams didn't go number three like he does here. I, I think agree. Leonard Williams makes sense there to pair with Cleo Mack on yeah, that defensive front. Deadly. Uh, it's a USC, USC laden yep. front you know front office and coaching staff. Uh, I think that would make a lot of sense. I agree. All right, so now we're going to go into the NFC East, Washington is on the clock now at number five, making the selection is Andrew Walker, writer for Redskins.com. Andrew, who do the Washington Redskins select with the number five pick? Well, with the number five overall pick, uh, I have the Washington Redskins selecting Dante Fowler, the linebacker from Florida. You know, the Redskins could go any number of directions with that number five pick. You know, you look at safety, pass rushers, offensive linemen, all those are spots where the Redskins know they need to develop depth and talent in order to get where they want to be. But, you know, I see new general manager Scott McLuhan going with Fowler here. They've already addressed their secondary and free agency so far. 
and the team could add depth to its offensive line in the mid to later rounds. So I also know the Redskins scouts are very high on Fowler. He was in for a visit earlier this week. Uh, this guy's just a pure athlete, has a super high ceiling. Matched on the opposite end of a guy like Ryan Kerrigan. He had 13 and a half sacks last season. He could platoon with Trent Murphy in his first year or two. And Fowler could really blossom into a headache for teams like your Eagles for years to come. Andrew, the big question would be, what happens if Marcus Mariota is on the clock? He isn't for our draft here, but in the real draft in a short time, just a couple of days, what if Marcus Mariota would be on the clock there at number five? What do you think Washington would do? That's definitely been one of the biggest questions, you know, the last couple months. And, uh, you know, Jay Gruden and Scott McLuhan have both said that they're not going to be shy about picking a quarterback if, you know, one of those guys is available. They're, they're both high on Mariota. They're both high on Winston. Um, you know, the Redskins won four games last season, so they're not set at any position, to be honest with you. But, you know, you just can't miss when you, when you have such a prime pick like the Redskins do at number five. There's a lot of good pass rusher options. There's, you know, Brandon Scherf at offensive line, Leonard Williams from USC, another talented defensive end, great talent at wide receiver. You know, so if you're Scott McClune, there's definitely plenty of options. And don't forget, the Redskins could still trade down from number five and still get some of the top players on their board. So it'll definitely be an interesting time to be in Chicago April 30th and see exactly what the team decides to do when, when it's on the clock. So Dante Fowler goes off the board here to Washington at number five. Pair him with Ryan Kerrigan. That's a nice set of pass rushers there. I think that's a no-brainer. They run it to the podium. No, I, I, I think it's I think that's easy an easy call. Yeah, I mean you've got uh, obviously Ryan Kerrigan who's been productive, but I don't think anyone would call him a top-level pass rusher. Uh, that's going to be a double-digit sack guy for years to come. Uh, they spent a second-round pick on Trent Murphy a year ago. They're not looking at him as a, as a big-time pass rusher. I think Fowler makes a lot of sense. I will say that if Fowler is not here, I think I think McGlewin would love to trade down because that roster has a lot of holes, and yeah. I think I think they'd like to do that. But Fowler, they'll be happy with. And if they do trade down, I, I think offensive line makes a lot of sense too. You know, you look at a guy, you know, maybe a Brandon Scherf, maybe mm-hmm. an Eric Flowers. Uh, you know, I think Trent Williams is obviously solidified as the left tackle, but you look up and down that defense or that offensive line, other than that spot, and there's going to be questions. All right, so we're going to go to the New York Jets. At number six, Todd Bowles, first-year head coach there up in northern New Jersey with the number six pick. The Jets are going to be on the clock, and Eric Allen from NewYorkJets.com will be the GM making a selection for them. Eric, who will the Jets select with the number six pick? Kevin White, wide receiver, West Virginia. C-Mac, this guy is 6'3", 215 pounds. He runs a 4'3", an outstanding leaper, tremendous production Last season for the Mountaineers, over 100 receptions, close to 1,500 yards, uh, receiving in all 10 touchdowns. Listen, when you look at this Jets team right now, last season, just 28th in scoring at 17.7 points in contest. They were 32nd in passing overall and 30th in touchdown passes with 16. Now you add a guy like Kevin White, into a situation where the Jets already have Eric Decker on one side. They acquired Brandon Marshall from the Chicago Bears on another. You can get White into the mix. Jeremy Curley still here. So you suddenly have a lot more weapons to go along with the run game. That was one of the better rush units in the National Football League last season. So no matter who's playing quarterback, there's going to be weapons here next year for the Jets. Kevin White, the second receiver, is off the board here, number six to the New York Jets. 
They acquired Brandon Marshall in the trade this offseason from the Bears. So if they're going to build around Geno Smith, not a bad way to do so with those outstanding receivers. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they gave Jeremy Curley a new contract. So And with Marshall, Curley, and Eric Decker there already, they don't necessarily need a receiver. <clears throat> excuse me. But getting a guy like, uh, uh, like Kevin White on the outside to help Geno Smith certainly helps. Uh, the West Virginia connection doesn't hurt, I guess. But I also would not be surprised if they went defense here. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, you look at that receiving core now, there's a number of big names there. Uh, I don't know that that necessarily fits what that staff typically would want to do. But, um, you know, the, it's a really interesting pick. And I think it's one of these scenarios where you look, we're six picks in now. Both of these top receivers are off the board. I think there's also scenarios out there where neither of these guys are off the board. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see at that position what happens here in the top six. Maybe – Todd Bowles has taken the mindset that I'll work with the defense. I can build the defense. Well, and we also don't yeah. know who's making the calls. I mean, Mike McCagney is the guy making the picks. But I'm we saying assume, philosophically, but, yeah. and I'm not expecting Bowles to be the one making the picks, but maybe right. philosophically he's thinking if I don't get an edge rusher, I can work with what we have. Right. Give me some I mean, they've got offense. a great defensive line, and they put in a ton yes. of money to the, to the secondary. So the linebacking core, the, the pass rushers on the outside, is the only hole. But – if you've got two really good units, you should be able to make the third unit work. Certainly. Even though you might argue in that scheme could be the most important. Right. So. All right. So next up, the Chicago Bears. Brandon Marshall's former team and making the selections. NFL comments for CBS Chicago, Dan Durkin. Dan, who do the Bears select at number seven? Vic Beasley. And the reason that I'm choosing Beasley here for the Bears is they're simply – chasing Aaron Rodgers, both literally and figuratively. This is a pass-heavy division in the NFC North, and as the Bears transition from a 4-3 base to a 3-4, they need as many pass rushers as they can possibly get on board. Yes, they brought in Lamar Houston and Pernell McPhee over the past two seasons. However, I still think they're looking for that, uh, that really dynamic speed off the right edge, and I think that Vic Beasley fits that very well. You look at a kid who is highly productive at Clemson, uh, 52 and a half tackles for loss, 33 sacks, seven forced fumbles. In, in my view, he's the most athletic and productive edge rusher in this draft class outside of Dante Fowler Jr. of Florida. Uh, outstanding closing speed, shows a variety of moves off the edge. I think that he's really going to put a lot of stress on left tackles in the NFC North. So when I look at the Bears and where they're at and the history of John Fox and Vic Fangio, they both arrived in Denver and San Francisco, respectively, in 2011. They spent their first picks on Von Miller and Alden Smith. You saw what that did for their scheme, which is truly multiple in a hybrid look up front. So to me, Vic Beasley would be an excellent pick here for the Bears. Another edge rusher off the board, and this is one of the positions that I'm going to be interested to watch on Thursday to see where these guys start to fall and see who might get pushed down to where the Eagles pick at number 20. But the Bears, one of the worst defenses in the league last season, overhauling, transitioning from the 4-3 that they've had for a long time to the 3-4. Vic Fangio in charge. No surprise they get an edge rusher. You, you touched on it the, with the edge rushers, but with uh, you know rumors that Randy Gregory is, is going to fall maybe out of the first round. Shane Ray's got the foot injury. That's going to drop him a little bit. All of a sudden, the pass rushers is not quite as deep as you might yeah. have thought. So I think the, uh, the impetus to go up and get uh, Vic Beasley or maybe a Bud Dupree is going to be more there for teams on the outside who need a pass rusher and we're assuming that one would fall to them at, at I don't know mid-teens now all of a sudden the supply is not so deep yeah and especially making that transition from the 4-3 to the 3-4 they don't have a lot of players on that team that are going to make that transition I mean they just don't they the, the the staff that they had before 
the defense that they played is just completely different from what they're going to be playing in 2015. So uh, adding a guy like Beasley, I think you throw in an Eric Armstead, you know, a Danny Shelton, uh, a lot of these other guys in the front seven I think would make sense. Beasley is a hell of a pick there. All right, so at number eight, the Atlanta Falcons are on the clock, and it seems like all the mock drafts think that they'll go past rusher at this spot, but making the selection is D. Orlando Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Orlando, who will the Falcons select at number eight? Kentucky defensive end, outside linebacker, Bud Dupree. Bud Dupree was a, uh, a stellar performer in the SEC for the Wildcats. He has the length and size that Coach Dan Quinn covers, and he's also very athletic. He has great uh, uh, numbers, very good explosion in the 10-yard shuttle range. He's a guy that Dan Quinn could put on the defense and maybe convert him into a Michael Bennett-style player that he had in Seattle. Orlando, why Dupree over, say, Shane Ray or Randy Gregory? It's a very good a uh, class of pass rushers here. It's a big need for Atlanta, so certainly the fit is there with Dupree. But why would you take Dupree over some of the other ones who are available here? Well, certainly Randy has a, a couple strikes against him. But when you compare his numbers alongside Dupree, Dupree's numbers are a, lo- a lot, a little bit better in terms of a uh, 40-yard dash time, his explosiveness. Uh, I think a 42-inch vertical to a 30. Uh, 10-foot, 10-inch jump to a 10. You know, he has more explosiveness and uh, more uh, athletic skills that they like and can uh, mold. Now, Shane Ray, is um, he would be a smallish guy that they could not play at end. He would have to be a weak side linebacker, which uh, the Falcons went out and signed about three or four linebackers in free agency. So I believe the priority is the defensive end spot. And Dupre is a little bit better. Then Gregory numbers-wise, notwithstanding uh, Gregory's problems uh, off the field. Oh, it's very interesting to hear Orlando talk about how the Falcons aren't looking at Shane Ray as that possible Leo linebacker, that he would be a defensive end, and I don't think that he would be a good fit for them there at number eight. So that's why they went Dupree there. Uh, seems like a nice fit, and it's a definite need there for the Falcons. Yeah, and it's three edge rushers and four picks, Bell. So it's right, right to your point. I mean, these guys are starting to get scooped up pretty quick. Yeah, I think that's the end of that that run. So I think, and I also think Atlanta is the the bottom level for the, where those those guys are going to go. So makes sense. Yeah. All right, we're going to go back to the NFC East. The New York Giants, real pivotal pick here because I think they can go in a number of different directions. And making the selection for the Giants is our good old friend Jordan Renan from NJ.com. Used to cover the Eagles, so he knows both of these teams inside and out. Jordan, who will the Giants select with the number nine pick? Eric Flowers, offensive tackle from Miami. Uh, this really is the Giants' nightmare scenario here. Uh, some of the, you know, they're hoping that one of those guys, either one of the top edge rushers, maybe Vic Beasley, one of the top wide receivers, whether it's White or Cooper, uh, hoping that one of those guys maybe falls down and gives them really good value at the spot. Uh, now, the way this shook out here is Shane Ray is, is available here at the ninth pick. I don't know if he's a fit for the Giants. I can't see him being that guy. So Flowers is the pick. He fits what the Giants are looking for, a mauling right tackle. Look, you just don't find 6'6", 330-pound offensive linemen that can move like Eric Flowers very often now. I've heard a lot, and I've seen it myself. 
the te- he has some flaws in technique. There's some things that he needs to work on. But you know what? Technique is something that can be worked on. It can be improved. Physical ability for a 330-pound guy, his ability to move inside his feet, that is something that can't be changed. Uh, you know, they go with Flowers here over Scherf, maybe because he's more of that offensive tackle kind of guy. A lot of people think Scherf may be probably better on the inside. Uh, you know, Flowers has a better frame, the better athleticism. So he's the Giants pick here with the ninth pick. We have, I think, our first big shock. Not a surprise yeah, the Giants go offensive line, but it's the offensive line that they went with, Eric Flowers from Miami over Brandon Scherf and some of the other ones who have been mentioned as a possible best in this year's Ellen, class. that's the kind of insight you get from, from talking to someone who covers the teams, I guess, is that, that they're more in on Flowers than they would be on, on a Scherf or a Pete or some of the other guys who are considered at the top of the draft. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about Flowers in the draft process, I guess, but uh, some people think that, that he could be the, the best lineman in the draft and Certainly the Giants need help along the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, some people see him as a, p- a potential guard and a guy that's going to have to slide inside. But uh, when you look at a guy like Flowers, I mean, he's a big kid who moves pretty well for his size. And he's got a lot of technical flaws or, and it's, it starts from his stance on. I mean, he's got a lot of things he's going to have to work on. But there are things that when you talk to people, they say, okay, well, that's something I could fix pretty quickly, uh, you know, as early as, you know, a couple weeks of practice. And now you've got a guy who, you know, could be a dominant offensive lineman. So Sounds like wishful thinking to me. Well, we'll see. I mean, Flowers, We hope it's wishful yeah, thinking. That's, that's yes. right. Uh, I thought it was also interesting to hear him say that if one of the two receivers fell to them, that uh, they would jump at Amari Cooper or Kevin White. Very scary. That would be scary. Yeah. Yes, indeed. All right, number 10. The Eagles have made trades with St. Louis earlier this offseason. They got their quarterback in Nick Foles, apparently. Making the selection for them at number 10, Miles Simmons from stlouisrams.com. Miles, who do the Rams take with the number 10 pick? With the 10th pick in the NFL draft, the St. Louis Rams select Brandon Scherf, offensive lineman out of Iowa. The Rams making this pick because he is probably the best player on their draft board that is available at this point, but he also fills a need. And so you don't necessarily want to do need-based drafting, but when he's the best player on the board and you can really have him be a plug-and-play player, then that's exactly what you want. Brandon Scherf really brings some tenacity to the offensive line, and it's an offensive line that really can use that, especially with a Jeff Fisher coach team. You know, they, they want to run the ball well, and they want to play good defense. That's basically a Jeff Fisher staple. And he always says that when you can do those things well, you have a chance to be in the Final Four. So that's why I think it's a great idea for the Rams to select Brandon Scherf out of Iowa. All right, it seems like that this could be a spot where a receiver might go. I think if one of the two guys falls, I think, yeah, they might hop on that. Or maybe is this too early for Devontae Parker or Rashad Perriman would be the third guy. Nonetheless, they give some help for Nick Foles, but they give it up front. And with Scherf sliding here to number 10, they pounce on him, and that's now two straight years with a top pick here along the offensive line. Greg Robinson last year moved outside to left tackle. They also had the second first-round pick with Aaron Donald, so they did very well there last year. They're hoping for the same returns here with Scherf. I wouldn't count out of the cornerback position either. Absolutely. You, know, you look at Janaris Jenkins, and obviously, look, you saw what uh, Riley Cooper was able to do to him last year. Uh, the size is an issue with a guy like Janaris Jenkins. So a guy like Trey Waynes, you know, wouldn't shock me to add a guy, a cornerback with size that can run, uh, that can do the things that uh, Jeff Fisher wants to do defensively with Greg, with Greg Williams there. Trey Waynes would make a lot of sense. I agree. All right, so we're going to go to the number 11 pick. The Minnesota Vikings are on the clock, and Matt Vensel, the Vikings beat reporter from the Minnesota Star, or Minneapolis Star Tribune, my apologies there, is making the selection. Matt, who do the Vikings take at number 11? 
Trey Wayne's quarterback, Michigan State. Uh, you know, the Vikings have one, you know, emerging young quarterback named Xavier Rhodes, but they certainly could look to add another cornerback. Uh, you know, they have Josh Robinson, who's entering a contract year, and, uh, you know, he's had an up-and-down career, but he's got some talent. Um, Captain Munderland, you know, he they brought him in as a free agent last year. Uh, the team thinks he's probably better off just being strictly a slot cornerback instead of starter on the outside. Um, so it makes sense, and they, they've showed they showed interest in Wayne's in the pre-draft process as well, as long as some other cornerbacks. Um, so I could definitely see them taking another guy to pair with Xavier Rhodes and potentially giving Zimmer um, the kind of one-two punch at cornerback that he had in Cincinnati with Leon Hall and Jonathan Joseph. At number 11, the Vikings go with Trey Waynes from Michigan State. You pair him with Xavier Rhodes, a nice little one-two combo there. Very popular defense. projection. I think it's like one of the better fits in the in the middle of the first round here. I think there's like three fits that seem ideal uh, if, if it ends up happening. Trey Waynes to Minnesota, Eric Armstead to San Francisco, and Todd Gurley to San Diego. Those ones sort of make sense to me in the, in the, in the teens. Uh, and Trey Waynes, I think, I would imagine, barring somebody else falling out of the top 10, that he, that he falls no further than 11. Yeah, and one of the other popular picks for this team has been wide receiver, uh, looking for somebody to pair with Teddy Bridgewater, his former teammate, Devontae Parker, has been talked about there. I personally would be surprised if Devontae Parker went that high, but uh, you know, I think that Trey Waynes makes a ton of sense. All right, so the Cleveland Browns have two selections here in the first round of this year's NFL Draft. The first one here at number 12. Making this selection for them is Brent Sobleski, NFL Draft Analyst, formerly of USA Today and ESPN Insiders. Brent, who do the Browns take with their first first-round pick? Wide receiver Devontae Parker from Louisville. With Parker, you're getting one of the top three wide receivers in this year's draft class. He's on par with both Alabama's Amari Cooper and West Virginia's Kevin White. When you watch him closely on film, he was reminiscent of A.J. Green in his body shape and his style of play. A very smooth operator that gives Cleveland a potential vertical threat that's lacking on the roster currently and a future number one wide receiver to learn behind newly acquired Dwayne Bowe. All right, the third wide receiver goes off the board. Not a surprise with Josh Gordon and all the problems that he's having. So no matter who the quarterback's going to be for the Browns this upcoming season, it's another weapon for them there with Parker. I'm not sure that Parker and Cleveland is a great fit considering what happened with Manziel, what happened with Josh Gordon. I, I think Devontae Parker has a few character concerns, uh, so I would be a little surprised if, if Cleveland went that direction, but we'll, we'll see what happens. And I also, I, you know, even just on, on the on-field, yeah, I'm, not not, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about Devontae Parker. I mean, I think there are a lot of guys – uh, at that size, who I, I don't think he, you know, obviously he timed well at the combine, but I don't think he's uh, this explosive sudden mover. Uh, you look at a guy like Devin Funches, I think Funches moves better than Devontae Parker. Uh, there are a lot of things from his stance and his release and his route running that I think he needs to improve on. So Parker's a, a contested catch guy. I think he's got the ability to win in that way, but uh, I'm not big on, on Parker. I'll be interested to see where he ends up going in the draft. All right, another team has two picks here in the first round of our beat writer mock draft, and the other team is the New Orleans Saints. Their first one here is at number 13, and making the selection is Tony Pauline, our good friend from DraftInsider.net, and at Tony Pauline on Twitter. Tony, who will the Saints select at lucky number 13? Shane Ray, pass rusher, University of Missouri. Uh, the, the New Orleans Saints defense is in need of a lot of help, and they, they've needed a pass rusher for quite some time. I think what they may look to do is package both of those first-round picks, potentially move up to get Vic Beasley. But if they can't do that and they're staring at Shane Ray, I think he'd be a perfect fit for their system, a guy who could fast off the edge, create a lot of havoc up the field. 
And I think instantaneously he makes the New Orleans Saints defense that much better. Not a surprise here going with Ray because of just how much the defense struggled last season. They were fourth in the league in 2013, next to last last season. Certainly could use some more pieces. Shane Ray makes a lot of sense. Here. Yeah, I, I, the only problem is the foot, I guess, in the reports uh, that he may eventually need surgery. They say he doesn't need surgery now. A few months down the road, who knows what happens, but uh, that could drop him a little bit further than this. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, if the board were to go out this way, I would think that New Orleans would be pretty happy. I mean, I, I'm not the biggest Shane Ray supporter, but I think that uh, he makes uh, makes a lot of sense for that defense. They're definitely looking for pass rush help. Uh, they're looking for high-character guys, and he's obviously he's faced a lot of adversity in his life and is able to come through on the other side. So, uh, you know, Ray would make a lot of sense there. All right, we're going to go to number 14. We're going to go to the AFC East, a team that the Eagles will see this season, the Miami Dolphins. Making the selection is Alan Pupar, the editor of Dolphin Digest. Alan, who will the Dolphins select? with a number 14 pick. Lyle Collins, offensive lineman, LSU. Here's a situation where the Dolphins is. They have some needs at a a couple of different spots, and based on the players who already have been picked, including the three wide receivers, uh, Amari Cooper, Kevin White, and Devontae Parker, who really are guys that Dolphins probably would jump all over if they were available at 14. With those guys being gone, the first priority at this point, I strongly believe, would be talking to every team behind them in the draft to see if anybody's interested in moving up into that spot and trading down to acquire some picks. The Dolphins are without a third-round pick because of the trade for wide receiver Kenny Stills from the New Orleans Saints. Uh, barring a trade, if the Dolphins they put at 14 with the three wide receivers drawn, the player who represents the most value is Collins because the Dolphins do have a need at guard. They have the two guys who started at the end of last year, where Mike Pouncey was moving back to center this year, and Darren College, the veteran Longtime member of the Green Bay Packers who just recently announced his retirement. So the Dolphins have a need for a starting guard. There's also a little bit of a question mark at offensive tackle because Men and Albert will be coming off an ACL injury he sustained last November. Um, and it's too early to say for certain that he'll be ready for the start of the regular season. If he's not, then likely the Dolphins will move Jawan James, their first round pick last year, to left tackle to start the opener against the Washington Redskins which creates a need for a right tackle, which could be filled by veteran Jason Fox or by Collins if he winds up being the pick. Uh, but he's a guy who's got a very high upside. He's considered a pretty safe bet. He can play a lot of different positions on the offensive line, so he's a very good value pick, again, if the three wide receivers are gone. The Dolphins with Bill Lazor, offensive coordinator, remaking that offensive line. They got Juwan James in the first round last year. They got Lyle Collins here. They're moving Pouncey back to center, so they're trying to really solidify the offensive line to help get that ground game going with Lamar Miller. Next I like season. Collins a lot, uh, and I think you know Brashad Perryman is a possibility here. Yep. Uh, but but I like Collins a lot. And all the turmoil that position group had two years ago seems you know in the distant past at this point with all the different moves that they've made along that group. Uh, Lyle Collins can fit in a tackle. He can fit in a guard. I think he has the athleticism to play in that kind of defense or in that kind of offensive scheme. Uh, that they've got down there with Bill Lazor. I think it makes a lot of sense. This is a good pick. All right, so at number 15, the San Francisco 49ers, a team that has gone undergone a lot of change this offseason. They are on the clock now, number 15, and Taylor Price from 49ers.com is going to make the selection. Taylor, who do the 49ers take with the 15th overall pick? Doriel Green Beckham, wide receiver out of Missouri. And really, there's a lot of questions about his off-the-field characteristics and how he's getting ready for this draft because he hasn't played football in a long time but I'm just going off of personal interest I think this guy has the upside to be a a Randy Moss or a Calvin Johnson 
And then to hear from our quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, who was working out with Green Beckham out in Arizona at Exos, the training facility out there in Phoenix, he told the reporters, he said, Green Beckham is a great talent. Everything I saw of him, he was working hard, doing things well, looks like a great prospect. So when you hear your quarterback co-sign a player's ability like that, it lends me to believe that Kaepernick would be happy to be throwing balls to him for the future. All right, and then obviously the, the other guy who jumps out at us on the board as a potential fit for the Niners might be uh, Arik Amstead, the, the Oregon defensive lineman with the 49ers potentially needing some guys up front. Uh, was he a consideration for you? Yeah, I think he has the upside and physical ability to be a long-armed pass rusher, play a couple gaps there on the front for Jim Tom Sula and Eric Mangini's defense. But to me, he seems a little bit like a project at that point. And I could be totally wrong, but the 49ers have spoke highly of their depth. Glenn Dorsey is coming back from injury, Ian Williams as well. You have two guys who can plug and play at nose tackle or defensive end. They signed Darnell Dockett, and they're pretty high on the other guys. They have Tank Carradine coming back for his third year, had three sacks last year on a a limited role, really stepped up towards the end of the season. So I don't know if you need to make a a rush decision at that point. Armstead is certainly a player with a lot of upside, and if he was the selection, I don't think the 49ers would mind that one bit whatsoever. I don't know where to begin with this one. <laughs> I mean, this is, I can't imagine yeah. they make that pick. I mean, Taylor is in the building, so he knows better than I do. But they, smoke screen. I was going to say he's just yeah. Blowing I, mean, I think, up he, I think he, yeah. I think I think he's <laughs> he's trolling. He's trying to throw us off the scent on that one. I think. Uh, I just they could they can't possibly after every after the guys that they had in that building. Yep. They Ray cannot McDonald, bring Alden in Doral Green Beckham. They can't. I would be surprised. And you know, a lot of people talk say, "Hey, well, if he was clean off the field, he would be a top ten pick." I don't, I don't know that that's a definite either. I mean, I think he's a, obviously he's got great ability with the you know uh, in terms of being able to go up and get the football. Uh, he showed the ability to win after the catch, but he didn't come after me as as a guy that's like a you know is a is just going to out compete every single mm-hmm. player he's going to go up against week in week out. Uh, he had some really good games as a sophomore in Missouri, but uh, I think there's some questions there in terms of his on field potential. Well, that's what helps him. He doesn't have last year's yeah, tape. That's right. Everyone is screwed it's now. a question. It's sure. almost the no. Matt Barkley syndrome. Where doesn't help him that much. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean it does answer. here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I think I would. I it's got to be Eric Armstead. And I, I don't know. That's, Armstead that's makes a lot of sense. I love Good. Armstead. Perfect marriage, yeah. right yeah. there. So. I would. I would be surprised if he wasn't the pick. I, I mean, I could see Armstead going as high as yeah. uh, seven to Chicago. It's personally, you know, the way I see him. So we'll see. Fan mock draft. They went Eric Kendricks in the middle. I mean, they do need an inside linebacker. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. Patrick Willis, Chris Boyle retiring there. So, All right, so number 16, the Houston Texans are on the clock. Matt Waldman from the Rookie Scouting Portfolio is going to make the selection. Matt, who will the Texans select at number 16? All right, well, the Houston Texans select Jalen Collins, cornerback of LSU. And the reason that they're making this pick or that they, they should make this pick is that um, you're, you're looking at Jonathan Joseph, whose contract is expiring in 2015, so they're going to you really want to have some sort of continuity at this position, um, where that you have an opportunity to select a player who could develop into that role and become a starter within a year or two. And I think that when you look at when, when you look at Randall, he he's not the most developed, polished player of the cornerback class, but he might be the most athletic. Um, he's also a player that has shown a lot of good work in terms of um, just his natural cover skills. I mean, he's a long, lean player and certainly one that um, I think that when you're looking at, you know, this AFC South division, 
you got some young quarterbacks. You, you may be getting a, um, a more veteran passer who will also be maybe rivaling uh, a quarterback like Andrew Luck and the Titans if they do end up trading for a player like Phillip Rivers. And, you know, the Texans need to continue to, to, to have some continuity at their back end. And so when you look at a, a player like Collins, um, it, you know, he's more of a projection type of player. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's a little harder to find really quality cornerback play in the NFL. And if you can get an athlete like this who has done some good work at LSU, um, you know, uh, in the past 10 games, then you can, then I would say, or at least with his starts, then I, then I think that he's a guy that you can, you can probably feel pretty good about sitting for a year and feeling like that he can be a player that may actually offer more as a starter in the next year or two um, and turn out to be the best cornerback in this class, even though he may be the rawest of the top three to four that are at the top of, the, of most boards right now. All right, this is a spot where a lot of people think that the running back will be selected, but they decide to go cornerback Jalen Collins. You pair him with Kareem Jackson, whom they resigned this offseason. You know, you have a nice front seven there. Obviously, the best defensive player in football in J.J. Watt. Now you help that back into the defense a little bit more. Really, this is going to be a team where I think will definitely make a push for the playoffs as long as they get that quarterback spot. Yeah, that's five. the thing. They've got a really good roster. They just need a quarterback, and they don't – I mean, they don't really have one. they got Brian Hoyer and Ryan Malik. Great. Uh, so obviously you're not taking a quarterback here, but I could also see him trading down, try to get a few more picks. I think Max Williams is like a, a flyer possibility. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I would be yeah. surprised too with a receiver. I mean, Brashad Perryman sitting there yeah. uh, as a vertical threat. You look on the offensive line. I mean, I think Jake Fisher would make a lot of sense. TJ Clemmings would make a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I think there are a few players that are interesting there. Collins, you know, we, we, we've talked about the potential issues. You know, we don't know them for sure. And obviously there have been some reports lately over the last week or so that would uh, support those. But He doesn't seem like a Bill O'Brien type of player. No, that's a good point, too. A college coach picking a guy who had only 10 starts. Yeah, that's a good know. point. It doesn't seem like a good fit to me. But, oh well. We'll see. All right, so Jalen Collins is off the board there. Number 17, we're now starting the second half of our mock draft here. The San Diego Chargers are on the clock and Eric Galco from Optimum Scouting is going to make the selection. Eric, who will the Chargers take with the 17th overall pick? Todd Gurley, running back, Georgia. Whether or not Phillip Rivers is in a long-term plan to the San Diego Chargers, they need a running back to kind of lead this offense into the future. They have Keenan Allen, they have some young receivers to build around on their offense, but having a stable running back like Todd Gurley, who has Adrian Peterson-like upside, can give this offense an identity in the future, whether or not Phillip Rivers is their pass this year for the San Diego Chargers. They lose Ryan Matthews of Philly. I can imagine the Chargers brass spring to the podium to get Todd yeah. Gurley here. Two of my three fits ended up working. There you go. So there you go. Yeah, Gurley makes a lot of sense. I mean, for what they want to do, running the ball and, you know, the, his style of play makes a lot of sense. All right, we'll go to the Kansas City Chiefs at number 18, our good old friend Andy Reid there. Get him a fastball. Ooh, could it be a fastball here? That's a good question. Doug Farrar, the NFL writer for Sports Illustrated, will make the selection. Doug, who will the Chiefs select at number 18? Jalen Strong, wide receiver, Arizona State. This is a guy I really like and someone I think is uh, pretty underrated. 6'4", 212, uh, caught 82 passes for 1,165 yards and 10 touchdowns last year. And I, I liked him 
in season, and then when I went back to review his tape, I started to understand that his route running is underrated. He's able to create separation, and I think he'll be able to do so even more in the NFL. The thing that really stood out to me was their quarterback situation was really hampered by injury, and I got a real good look at his catch radius and kind of, say, like the receivers who have to deal with a guy like Andy Dalton. Uh, Philadelphia <laughs> Philadelphia fans remember Kevin Colvin kind of the same way, where a guy's not necessarily accurate and the receiver will make up the difference. And I think that's something that Jalen Strong does really well. Andy Reid going wild with the wide receivers here. He wants a Philly kid. You right. know, get, you get Jerry Macklin, played in Philly. Yeah. You get the Philly native, Jalen Strong. Over, uh, over Brashad Perryman. Nelson Aguilar, Surprising. people think he's that high. I mean, some of the other receivers who are... I also think, and speaking of fastballs, if someone is going to take Randy Gregory in the first mm -hmm. round based on talent, thinks they can work with that kind of personality, Andy, Andy, could, Andy do could do it. That could that's, be a a good, that's a good point. Uh, you know, and you look at possibly offensive line. Uh, they lost uh, their center. They lost Rodney Hudson in free yeah. agency. So, C-Max guy, Cam Irving potentially. Could Cam Irving go off the board that early? I mean, that's that could be interesting. That could Jalen be one of the Strong, early surprises. Well, this, you know what, and, and we're gonna, I'm sure we're going to see this throughout the next you know, 10 picks or so, but this is, this is like a draft because while it's not going how we would expect it to go, every team has their own opinion, opinions. Every team exactly. has their own draft board. So, you know, Doug Farrar thinks that Jalen Strong's the guy here. We wouldn't guess that he'd be the next receiver off the board, but he has him as the next receiver off the board. Sure. That's how the draft works, that you're going to find guys who fall to you who you thought there was no way they were going to fall. Right. So. That's a good point. Now, Eric the thing Arms is, said, you, know. you know, is Doug Farrar <laughs> thinking of what, who he would pick for them? Or is he thinking how the Chiefs? That's also some of the That's a good question. things you have to put into uh, perspective here. So we're going to go to number 19 with their second pick here in the first round. The Cleveland Browns are back on the clock, and we bring back Brent Sobleski to make the selection. Brent, they went offense with their first pick with Devontae Parker. Who will they select here with a 19th overall selection? Malcolm Brown, defensive tackle, Texas. But the Cleveland Browns last year's run defense was the worst in the league. They need to upgrade along the defensive line, starting a nose tackle or three technique. Malcolm Brown presents the versatility to play defensive end in a three-man front, a three technique in a four-man front, or nose tackle in a three- or four-man front. That type of ability to penetrate and disrupt in the backfield will help the team greatly to stop the run in 2015. They did have the option of selecting Washington's Danny Shelton, but that versatility that Brown presents is what put him over the top as, this, as the pick. I'm going to sit back and allow Bo to uh, rant how it's Malcolm Brown over Eric Armstead. Maybe both of you. No, because that, that's a better fit for them. Eric Armstead is not really – I mean, they need a guy in the middle, uh, and that's not what Eric Armstead is. I mean, I think Eric Armstead's a better player for, for sure, but everybody says Cleveland wants to come out of this draft with a, a new nose tackle, so – uh, I, Malcolm Brown makes more sense there. I mean, I, I guess that would uh, that makes sense in terms of a you know the if you're the philosophy drafting for need. If, yeah. And if you see Malcolm Brown as a nose tackle, I mean that would that would be the, the other thing. Is yeah. I don't know that he's a nose tackle. I think he's more of a three technique, a quick penetrating type player. Um, and that might be what Brent. And look, Brent is very tied in with Cleveland. Yes. Uh, you okay. know, and so that kind of uh, it, it interests me that he goes Devontae Parker and uh, and Malcolm, Malcolm Brown, Brown there. Um, but. We'll see. No I mean, Dan Shelton. They took they took two players in the draft last year that was like, eh, yeah, that didn't really work out. So we'll see. Well, um, now now this is what we came for, guys. This is the fun part. That's right. So what, how are we going to do this? We're gonna we're gonna make our own picks, or are we gonna bring in someone else and then make our own picks? 
I think we, let's let's look at the board as it stands right now, and then see. Okay, you know where where would each of us go? I mean, obviously there's a bunch of different names there. Uh, names. I mean, yeah. Listen, you've got you've got Byron Jones, who is linked to the Eagles, is our is our uh, super soaker to the head guest yep. for the Eagles pick at this point. Yep. Uh, you've got Prashad Perryman, who is still on the board. That's uh, that, I mean, that's this is a good situation. I would I would Armstead. rank it. I would rank it. Well, that's that's where I'm going. I would. I mean, if this is how it turns out, yes. I would. My guess would be Byron Jones would be choice number three. Rashad Perryman would be choice number two. I would imagine they could not pass up on Eric Armstead at, at this point. And you know, we expect the, we expect the Eagles to go wide receiver, corner, O line at some combination in the first two rounds. But mm-hmm. if Eric Armstead's there, I don't think they too pass. good to pass up. I mean, and that's a good point. I mean, Armstead. You know, is he going to start right away? Probably, I don't know that he would. But look, the guy's a, a hell of a talent. Uh, he's got at six seven, two hundred ninety five pounds. He's a former basketball player for the University of Oregon. Uh, can play sideline to sideline. Guys that big don't move that fast typically. So, really intriguing. I I would say the pick would be Byron Jones here. Still, I mean, anyone I, else? There you go. See, I still I still Jake like Fisher's Jake on the Fisher. board. Jake yeah. Fisher's there. Yeah, that's still a guy I've liked to the Eagles from, from the start. But for you know, sure, we've discussed. Too. But we've discussed that the potential. Yeah. Uh, they might look for a different type of more physically imposing offensive line. Not that Jake Fisher can't do that, but a more traditional. We talked about the Juan Castillo mold of offensive line. Yeah, so that's, maybe a, that's, that's a good point. So that could be Landon Collins not in the conversation at all. I don't think so. I, I mean, watch him be the pick on well, uh, yeah, on Thursday. But Brashad Perriman, don't count him out either. Yeah, man. I think Perriman's a real possibility. Yeah. Big but kid that can go up and get it. I ju- big and explosive. This is hard yeah. because you know I don't believe that Eric Armstead is going to be there. Sure. If he right. was there, I think he would be the pick. If I'm guessing who the Eagles pick is going to be at 20, it wouldn't be Armstead. It would be Jones or Perryman or somebody like that. But I know that you guys, and we'll talk maybe tomorrow in tomorrow's show whether or not he's actually my favorite. Uh, but how would you guys feel about Oa here? Odigizua? Down the board, that's, huh? That's you. That's further down the board? I All mean, right. I would be, if you tell me going into the first round that the Eagles are going to draft him, I'd be okay. Sure. Okay. But in this scenario, yes. I, would, I would. There's too be, many other tempting options. I, I w- I'm with you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. Devil's advocate. That's fine. That's All right. Fine. Well, let's see who, who we have. Uh, well, let's see. So for the pick that we're going to use for this podcast, since obviously we're debate amongst ourselves here, let's go with our good friend Tommy Lawler, yes. Fandemonium columnist from EaglesBlitz.com. I think he's tuned into the Eagles. He. He's working right now on his seven-round Eagles mock draft. So let's see who he thinks the Eagles should take here in this scenario for the team at number 20. Tommy, you're on the clock. Who will the Eagles take at number 20? T.J. Clemmings, offensive lineman from Pittsburgh. The Eagles obviously want to be a more physical, downhill running team in 2015. That's definitely true with the additions of DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews, a running back. Well, they're going to need some guys up front to help block for them. Todd Harriman has moved on and is no longer on the offensive line, so there's a potential spot for Clemmings at right guard. And he also has the potential to start at offensive tackle in the future. He's six foot five. He's 309 pounds. He has long arms and big hands. And for my money, he's the most physically dominant run blocker in the entire draft. This is a guy that has the potential to be a star down the road but could start as a rookie. And I think he would fit the Eagles system, and he was the kind of physical presence that the offensive, offensive line could use up front in a year where they're trying to become a more physical running team. Tommy, is that why you go with T.J. Clemmings over, say, Jake Fisher from Oregon? It really is. Jake Fisher is an outstanding prospect, and I absolutely could see Chip Kelly having significant interest in him. But if you'll put on the tape, you know, Jake Fisher is a guy that's going to be able to, to block his man 
there are moments when you see Clemmings physically dominate the player across from him. And that, to me, anytime you have a chance to get a player who can be physically dominant, that's a player going to have significant interest in. There's obviously some learning to do because Clemmings is a former defensive lineman and has only played on the offensive side for two years. So he's going to need some coaching. He's going to need some help. There's going to be some ups and some downs. But the potential he has to become a dominant player in the NFL, I think, is what, to me, makes him worth pick 20. Tommy, looking at some of the other prospects who are still on the board, I'm going to start with the safety position. Landon Collins, the consensus top safety, is still there at number 20. Why not go there knowing that there's a whole opposite of Malcolm Jenkins at this point on the defense? Well, Landon Collins is an outstanding prospect, but not for the Eagles. Bill Davis likes his safeties to be interchangeable players that can go down and cover one-on-one. And if you think back to the Seattle game, the Eagles stayed in their base defense and would put a safety down over the slot receiver when Seattle used three wide receiver sets. If you tried to do that with Landon Collins, he would be completely lost in coverage. He's an outstanding run stuffer. He's a physical presence, and he could be a star in some schemes. But the way that the Eagles use safeties, I just don't think Landon Collins is a fit, so I don't think he's going to be one of the options at pick 20. Tommy, I'm going to stay in the secondary. There have only been two cornerbacks selected at this point in our mock draft. Byron Jones, whom the Eagles have reportedly shown a lot of interest in, is still on the board. There's also Kevin Johnson, who some believe is the number one corner overall in this draft. There's also Marcus Peters, who has the off-the-field concerns. How come not a cornerback here for the Eagles at number 20? Another position that they could look to upgrade. Cornerback is obviously an area that I certainly consider for the Eagles because, we, you know, with the addition of Byron Maxwell, you've got one player that you really believe in, but beyond that, it's kind of wide open. You know, we all still have some hopes for the guys, some of the guys who returned last year. There's the addition of Walter Thurman, but it, it's very much wide open, so there's definitely room for a corner. I just felt like there was a couple of questions about some of the guys. Marcus Peters would be an ideal fit for the Eagles, but you just don't know with his character concerns if he's a player the Eagles would be willing to take a chance on. And if you look at the way that Seattle has built their secondary, you have a fifth-round pick in Richard Sherman. I believe Maxwell was a sixth-round pick when the Seahawks took him. Uh, they drafted Therald Simon in the fourth round a few years ago. So they, they've been able to find big, tall, physical corners in the middle, even, even late rounds of the draft, and that's the way they've built their secondary. I don't know that the Eagles are going to copy that paradigm. But there is something to be said for finding those bigger, more physical guys. You don't necessarily need somebody to run the four three if they're six foot or six foot one and two hundred pounds can jam receivers. So the Eagles may be able to find corner help in the third and fourth round. And that's one of the other things to consider. It is a very deep group of corners, so you don't have to go get that player at pick twenty. All right. Tommy laid out his case nicely. Basically thinks that the Eagles are going for the more physically imposing lineman. That's why he picked that over Fisher. Uh went through the wide receivers, the corners, feel like it's deep in this draft. So I, it makes sense here. I, I like Clemmings. I'd be, I'd, I would welcome him with open arms to this team. I just, with the guys who are still on the board, I, I, I don't think that would be the pick. But I, I forgot how much, because I had watched a couple of games of Clemmings before we went down to the Senior Bowl, and I really liked them. And that was the last I'd watched them before I went back through, you know, within the last uh, 10 days or so. Man, I forgot how much I liked him because he is a really good player. I mean, he, he's very, very powerful. Uh, he's got really good feet. Uh, you know, obviously you see that the raw ability is there. You know, obviously a ton of inexperience along the offensive line. But, uh, you know, with the guys on the board, Bo, I would agree. I would be surprised with that pick. Any interest in Gregory? 
No, not for me. Yeah, I don't think so either. Not for me. Not for us. No, not there. So, all right. So we're going to go to the 21st pick and making the selection for the Cincinnati Bengals, Jeff Hobson from Bengals.com. Hobber. Jeff, who will the Bengals select with the 21st pick? Landon Collins, safety Alabama. Uh, they've gone to the well a little bit with Alabama the last couple of years. Uh, A.J. McCarron, they took him in the fifth round. Uh, they took Drake Kirkpatrick, uh, the corner, uh, as a first-round pick in 2012. Uh, they like the way Saban reads him down there. Both starting safeties contracts are up at the end of uh, this year, uh, Reggie Nelson and uh, George Iloka. And, uh, you know, they're looking toward the, uh, toward the future, and um, they're going to have to uh, obviously address some other uh, needs, uh, too. They've got the, their both tackles are up at the, end of, uh, at the end of this year, but I think it's the pickings for the tackles are going to be pretty uh, thin, and I uh, think they go with Collins, who's a pretty sure thing. So another team. This is an interesting scenario because there are some options there for them at more positions of need. Maybe Collins, and Jeff is very much tied into the team, so maybe this is a case of the best player on board. He explained the contract scenarios that are up for them. Maybe that's just the way they went here. They love SEC players. In, in the history of, of Marvin Lewis and since he's been there, they, they might. I, I have no hard data, data to back this up, but – I would venture to guess that they draft more SEC players than any team in the uh, Well, because the they don't start the scouting process until the season's over. I know. But that's, you know I'm not saying that that's the yeah, right way. I'm yeah, just saying yeah. you know, I, I really think, uh, you know, and look, Collins, I think he's he's a good player. You just got to use him the right way. Yeah. Is it the fact that they only have one scout on their staff? Does well, that? I, I mean, the coaches are obviously a big part of the process. Yeah. I'm surprised Armstead, because they love those big, long, athletic yeah. defensive linemen. Arms that would make Hunt a lot Johnson. of sense there. Yeah, that's right. Like Marcus Hunt, Michael Johnson, Carlos Dunlap. I mean, yeah. they've always brought in those big guys. Armstead would make sense there, too. He, he just continues yeah. to follow. I mean, who, does, who does he have to kiss to get drafted in this <laughs> class, or in this mock? Now making the selection for the Pittsburgh Steelers at number 22 is Kyle Krabs from NDTScouting.com. Kyle, who will the Steelers select at number 22? Marcus Peters, quarterback, Washington Huskies. Uh, Peters was dismissed from Washington with uh, some indeterminate amounts of friction with the coaching staff. Uh, it is difficult to uh, distinguish how big of an issue the predisposed character issues are with Peters, but the tape does not lie, uh, does not necessarily illustrate top-end elite traits, but very physical, uh, excellent size, uh, is versatile in coverage, is capable of playing off the ball, on the ball, disrupting at the line of scrimmage. And with the Steelers having lost several players to retirement with Ike Taylor and Troy Polamalu, it makes a lot of sense for the Pittsburgh Steelers to uh, move with a defensive back for the first time in quite a while in the first round. Uh, Peters is arguably the best defensive back talent based on the tape. Uh, extremely versatile, good ball skills, uh, picks the ball up well in the air, uh, plays receivers into the boundary very well, uh, good reaction in zone, is able to close and burst off of a flat base, uh, driving to close throwing windows as an overtop defender as well. Uh, Peters is a three-year starter, played in 35 games, logged 11 interceptions with 27 uh, passes broken up, and as a whole, provided that he fits in well with the culture of the locker room with the Pittsburgh Steelers, would be an excellent selection with their pick. Hey, if the off-field stuff checks out, 
perfect pick here for yeah, the Yeah, seems like a Tomlin kind of guy. Sure, yeah. They they need to upgrade the cornerback position. Yeah. You know, many people think that Pierce has the talent to be, you know, a top 15 guy. It's just the off-field stuff, so. I could see it being spot. Kevin Johnson, but, you know. Tomato, well, of course tomato. you could. Yeah, well, I would have seen him being number one <laughs> overall, I guess, but. Yeah. No, Peter, Peters makes a lot of sense there, and you talked about the holes in the secondary. Uh, I think if Landon Collins were to fall to Pittsburgh, I think that would make sense too. Um, obviously, there's going to be changes on the defensive side of the ball there, but they still have that hole at corner. Uh, everybody wants a press corner, and Peters makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're going to keep the same style of defense, even though Dick LeBeau is no longer there. It'll still be a lot sure. of the same principles. Yeah. I could see Brashad Perryman being picked there too. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Which with him and Antonio Brown would yeah. be scary. You, know, you paid Big Ben all that money. Might as well get the yeah. most out of it. So. All right, number 23, the Detroit Lions are on the clock. Tim Twentyman from DetroitLions.com is making the selection. Tim, who will the Lions select at number 23? With the 23rd pick in the 2015 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select defensive tackle Danny Shelton from Washington. And, and really, this is a, a dream pick for the Lions, I think, sitting at 23. It not only um, fills you know, what Martin Mayhew likes, which is, you know, the best player available, but also a big need. You know, obviously, Adama Kinsu, um is, is gone. He's in Miami now. Nick Fairley's gone. Now, they brought in Haloti Nada and kind of an unknown guy in, in, in Tyron Walker. But in Danny Shelton now, I think they've kind of solidified that defensive line. And, and they've got a pretty good one-two punch in Haloti Nada and Danny Shelton. Um, you know, Shelton's a nose tackle kind of kind of one two or three technique the lions will use him probably as the three tech you know here's a guy with 93 tackles from the nose tackle position 16 and a half tackles for loss but was also disruptive and had nine sacks so lions getting are, are getting a terrific player to kind of plug in fill a hole for them and, and now they got to start thinking about you know what they're going to name their two polynesian defensive tackles is it the polynesian express or the polynesian pulverizers or the nicknames will shortly come after this pick well, if you lose Andamakan Sue and Nick Fairley, Haloti Nada and Danny Shelton, not a bad way to replace them. Not a bad way to replace them. There you go. I'll give you that. That's not bad. That's good. Uh, Shelton, not a bad joke. I mean, the thing is, is that you know you've got a guy like Shelton. Shelton's not Andamakan Sue. He's not Nick Fairley in terms of the skill set. I mean, he's got he's a different kind of player. Yeah. I mean, he's a run stuffing. Uh, you know, kind of the, the space eater type players. Is he going to make some athletic plays? Uh, sure. I mean, he's going to make those kind of plays, but he's not going to be a consistent disruptor in terms of, you know, penetrating into the backfield and getting huge TFL or sack numbers. I mean, he's just not that guy. I think they're taking a corner. They're, they got They have to find a way to stop the Packers. Yeah. That's their, I mean, that is their goal for the next five years. That's, that's their job is to stop the Packers offense and Aaron Rodgers. They've got Rasheen Mathis, I think, ready to start again. We've been saying they were going to take yeah. a corner. I mean, that's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, you would think, okay, they're due at some point. Right. They took Darius Slay in the second round. And I think he's turned into a nice yeah. player, but they yeah. still need another guy. Yeah, but we'll see what happens. Are they two? Are he and Nada two two similar players? I mean, at this point, maybe. I mean, Haloti Nada was far more disruptive earlier in his career than he probably is now. I think he's still a good player, but uh, you know, and again, you're looking at the board, you know. Maybe the value is too good. Armstead's you, still there, but in a in a four three scheme, I don't know that Armstead makes a ton right, of sense right. anyway. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Grady Jarrett, I think, makes a lot of sense. I mean, you could look at Jordan Phillips. I think Jordan Phillips, you know, he's he might not be as consistent or as you know as safe, but I think Phillips has more upside than than a Danny Shelton does. Me personally. All right, so we're going to the Arizona Cardinals out west with the twenty fourth pick and making the selection is Ben Fennell, producer from NFL Films. Ben, who will the Cardinals take with the twenty fourth overall selection? Arizona Cardinals, cornerback Byron Jones, UConn. 
And the reasoning behind that pick with Byron Jones is with defensive coordinator James Fetcher, who is their outside linebackers coach, I expect, I expect him to still play a lot of pressure man schemes. So you got to have a cornerback that you can rely on and trust to be on an island in that defense. I think Byron Jones has all those intangibles to play press man-to-man in that defense. He's a great kid off the field with all those internships at the U.S. Congress, at the Capitol. He seems to have the complete skill set on and off the field. I think he'll fit well with the Arizona Cardinals. Jones and Patrick Pearson, nasty freak athletes on the outside. Yeah, Tyron Matthew as well there. Yep. It makes a lot. Of, I mean, they're looking for edge rushers too. I'm sure that if one of those guys were there, Gregory, uh, you know, the Gregory still Arian, there. Uh, Arians would take him. Yeah, maybe uh, that's a good point. Maybe not. Um, but they lo- they lost a corner. Uh, obviously, they lose Todd Bowles. So you know, a lot of the th- different things they can do creatively uh, may have gone with them. We'll see how that defense looks this year. But um, Byron Jones makes a lot of sense. Yeah. on the outside, absolutely. All right, the Carolina Panthers are on the clock, and Josh Norris from Roto World and NBC Sports is going to make the selection for the Panthers. With the 25th overall selection in the 2015 NFL mock draft here, Josh, who will the Panthers select? Cedric Oboehi, the injured tackle from Texas A&M. Oboehi tore his ACL in the school's bowl game, but everything seems to be, be progressing accordingly, and maybe he'll even be ready to play early on. The reason that Oboehi makes sense is because the Panthers have gone out and signed Michael Orr, not saying he's good. They've gone out and signed Jonathan Martin, not saying he's good. Um, but that gives them a bit of a stopgap, right? And so, to me, Cedric Oboy, he's a top tackle to either play left tackle or right tackle. Um, and even if he doesn't uh, produce or play a role early on, they have added some veteran pieces to compensate in that area. All right, Josh, so that's what you think the Panthers would do. What would you do if you were in their situation? Well, Randy Gregory's just staring at me on the board, right? And, and the Panthers absolutely have an edge-rushing need. Uh, obviously, Greg Hart did not play much for them last year. Charles Johnson still producing, but overpaid. And then we're all still waiting on Coney Ely to produce, and maybe he does take a step uh, during his second year. But Randy Gregory would absolutely be a fit because he has the level of ability to win in both phases of pass rushing, meaning working around the offensive tackles and obviously through them. Cedric Abuehi coming off the ACL, suffered late in the season over Andrews Pete. Surprise. And Jeff Fisher. Yeah, Jake Fisher. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Lance Zierlein, I think, put out a report that that a boy he is going to go in the first round. From what he's hearing, uh, Carolina obviously needs a ton of help on the offensive line. So, I mean, it sort of makes sense. I, I would, I'd be a little surprised, I guess, with Pete and Fisher off the board. But you know, if you love a boy, he he's, he's, he's got, better than Michael he, Orr. I mean, he's with the got, torn ACL. Yeah, I mean, he's got great feet. I mean, that's the thing with him is that he's got the feet to protect the edge. Uh, there were questions from a toughness standpoint and things like that, but uh, you know, and look, there there are going to be some questions there, and obviously the injury plays a factor. Uh, but look, he's got high upside. They need help on the offensive line, so with him or Andrews Pete or DJ Humphreys or Jake Fisher, I mean, a lot of those guys would have made. If sense. he does slide out of the first round, maybe with those feet, he ends up going to, to Buffalo in the second round since they don't have a first round pick. There you go. Yeah. All right. So up next here, the Baltimore Ravens at number twenty six and making the selection for the Raiders is Chris Burke. From SI.com, Chris, who will the Ravens select with a 26 overall pick? Randy Gregory, outside linebacker in Nebraska. Uh, I think for, from the Ravens' perspective, this is, uh, falls right under their best player available sort of mantra. This is a guy with top 10 potential that because of an off-field incident is going to slip down possibly to the point like it looks in this draft where uh, you know the value – 
just outweighs the risk of taking him at some point. And the Ravens, I think, would pounce because they've got uh, two really good edge rushers and Terrell Suggs, Elvis Dumerville, but both are in their 30s now. They could leave Courtney Upshaw in a two-down roll if they bring in Gregory, which I think Upshaw's been pretty successful in. And uh, Gregory's just got that incredible upside. If he can keep his nose clean off the field, I mean, we saw what he did at Nebraska as a pass rusher and as a playmaker. I think you drop him in that creative, aggressive Baltimore defense, he could be a star for a long time. All right, gentlemen, the slide for Randy Gregory ends but a peculiar place. Well, I mean, just um, look at, I, yeah. I'm obviously looking the, through the prism of what they went through last year with right. the Ray Rice. Well, like, yeah, but this is a different kind of, you know, they shouldn't be taking Doyle Green Beckham. Agreed. Uh, this is a bit of a different thing. I could see Ozzy trying to pounce on the, uh, the value, but I don't know. Eric Armstead's sitting there. You know, one of the Prashad things. Rashad Perryman's in there. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I think I've heard Daniel Jeremiah talk about this. I've heard uh, Phil Savage talk about this during his time in Baltimore. They weren't necessarily worried about off the field guys when they had those established veterans at that position group. So obviously they had Ray Lewis for a long time. You've got Terrell Suggs there in the building. Maybe if you think that Terrell Suggs can be a good mentor to Randy Gregory and kind of get him straight, yeah. it could be a good pick. That's, That's a good idea. point there. Very good point there. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are on the clock at number 27. Hopefully they just long snapper. That would yeah. be great. Cardona, Joe Cardona, Joe Cardona from Navy. We'll just make the pick there from. All right, number twenty. All king aside, Dane Brugler, our good friend here, is going to make the selection for the Cowboys from CBS Sports. Dane, who will the Cowboys select with the twenty seventh overall pick? Kevin Johnson, cornerback, Wake Forest, six uh, one, one hundred ninety pounds. Uh, Kevin Johnson is exactly what the Cowboys want in the first round at pick twenty seven. And if he's still on the board and the Cowboys keep that pick, uh, I would be shocked if uh, Johnson's not wearing the star on his helmet next year. Uh, he has the natural cover awareness that, that the scouts in Dallas love, uh, the self-confidence. Uh, he, he's highly skilled. He can play at press. He can play off-man, zone, uh, whatever you want. Athletically, mentally, fundamentally, it's all there for him uh, to be a starter early in his career. And with the current roster – Brandon Carr, the Cowboys want him to take a pay cut. Um, they're balking at that, uh, Brandon and his, uh, his his agent. But the addition of Kevin Johnson could shift the leverage there a little bit. Orlando Skandrick, there's some issues there. Maurice Claiborne, obviously, if, uh, 2012 first round pick, he has not panned out. So I think Kevin Johnson, if he's there at 27, uh, not only could it be the top player on the Cowboys board, uh, but it feels a, a big need for them. And you know, I think we're going to talk a lot about defensive end with the Greg Hardy uh, suspension. But Kevin Johnson, a corner, if he's there at 27, I think that's the pick for the Dallas Cowboys. Bo smile. Let's go, Cowboys. Smiles all around. How about yeah. them, Cowboys? <laughs> 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 too far, too far. Yeah, just a little bit. Not quite the long snapper that we were hoping for, but yeah. Kevin Johnson makes a lot of sense. And he said, you know, there's no way he's, yeah. he's pa falling past there. There you go. So there you have it. Would no. you how how will you feel about your former Demon Deke? It'd be dead to me. Unreal. But for now, I'll root for the Cowboys until he actually gets drafted. Oh, okay. In the in the pre-draft process. All right. It's disgusting. Anyway, <laughs> shape and form. Denver Broncos are on the clock here for the 28th overall selection in the 2015 beat writer mock draft, and Cecil Lammy from ESPN Denver is going to make the selection for the Bronx. Cecil, who will the Broncos select with the 28th overall pick? Max Williams, tight end with Minnesota. Now, I know some people may think, well, wait a second. The Broncos went out. They kept Virgil Green. 
one of their own free agents that they decided to keep around, paid him a lucrative deal, the former seventh-round pick, to be you know a big part of this new Gary Kubiak system. The Broncos, of course, went out and got Owen Daniels from the Baltimore Ravens as well, a guy that's played virtually every snap of his pro career under the guidance of Gary Kubiak. And some may wonder why this would be Max Williams at this point. I'll tell you why. One, he's the best tight end in what generally is a poor group of tight ends. Max Williams reminds me a lot of a young Jason Witten because of his run-after-the-catch ability, sticky hands, and ability to get open on those underneath routes. He's not a seam ripper like Julius Thomas, but you don't need that type of guy in Gary Kubiak's offense. Max Williams can learn behind Daniels, learn behind Virgil Green. Green is an underrated receiver, but let's not get crazy about his prospects as a pass catcher. And Daniels, while a fantastic talent veteran guy, he's also struggled to stay healthy for most of his pro career. So the Broncos need that next young tight end to kind of groom and get ready to take over in the Kubiak offense. I think Max Williams is a perfect fit for them in the first round. Easily the best tight end of this year's draft class. You give Peyton Manning yeah, I like that pick a lot. in the middle. Makes a lot of sense. I do think though that there are some offensive line needs there as well. That you know you can say, look, there's Andrews Pete sitting there, uh, DJ Humphreys is sitting there. Yeah. You know you, you have some issues there, but I, you, you guys know I, I really like Max Williams. They lose yeah. Julius Thomas. Uh, I think that's a good fit. Yeah. All right. Simple enough there. Let's go to the Indianapolis Colts, where Todd Harriman's and Trent Cole now reside. Making the selection at number 29 overall is Steve Andrews from Colts.com, their media reporter. Steve, who will the Colts select with a 29th overall pick? With the 29th pick in the 2015 NFL Draft, the Indianapolis Colts select Eddie Goldman, defensive tackle out of Florida State. 6'4", 336 when you look at some of the needs that the Indianapolis Colts have, and although they usually go best player available, Eddie Goldman checks all the boxes for the number one need that the Colts have after losing to the New England Patriots last season in the AFC Championship game. Goldman is a bona fide run stuffer. 33 and an eighth inch arm length, 10 and one eighth inch hands. He is 336 pounds. He is a guy who could be the next Vince Wilfork in this draft, and the biggest need for the Colts, having been beaten by the Patriots every time in the Chuck Pagano era and having been run on by LeGarrette Blunt on multiple occasions now, Goldman is a guy who could come in right away and fill that major need of stopping the run. The Colts, they are looking at the Patriots as the team to beat in the AFC. And they got to fix that run defense, so that's why they're going Eddie Goldman. I thought Andrus would take Andrus Pete. That would only make that much more sense. Yeah. And that would actually fill another. Ton of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They've had a lot of issues in the offensive line. I don't know. I mean, I know they got to stop the run, but you got the golden ticket. Just protect the golden ticket. Get no me, question. Give me an offensive line. 100% though. agree. And if you're going to go D line, I mean, our boy's still sitting there. Yeah. Unbelievably. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Unbelievably, Armstead is still there. But Or take Brashad Perriman. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. The gold man. That's who yeah. it is. That's all right. The Green Bay Packers are now on the clock with the 30th overall selection in our 2015 Beat Ryan Mock Draft and making the selection, Tyler Dunn from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Tyler, who will the Packers select with the 30th pick? TCU inside linebacker Paul Dawson. Dawson could step right in and start with the Packers next to Sam Barrington at a major position of need for this team. After losing A.J. Hawk, 
Brad Jones and Jamari Lattimore in free agency. They're starting to do an inside linebacker, and the aggressive Dawson could be exactly what this defense needs. Just when you started to think that maybe no inside linebackers would go in the first round of this draft here, Paul Dawson, bit of a surprise picker. First one off the board. Teddy Thompson throwing the curveball. I don't know. I would see I, – I feel like Eric Hendricks is maybe more of a Packers-type inside linebacker. Uh, I mean, obviously, Tyler Dunn knows more than I do, but I don't know. I also, I don't, it's hard for me to imagine Ted Thompson passing on Eric Armstead if he's there. It or does a fit. Lineman, I don't know. You know, and it does so. fit with them moving Clay Matthews back outside, so adding a guy that, you know, that would play on the inside for them makes sense. I would agree, though. I mean, yeah. Kendricks, to me, is, is the better prospect. I so. also believe – uh, and I'll put this one out there. I believe that uh, Odigizue is a very Packers-type player. Mm. Mm. I like that. I like that. But That's a good fit. There you go. All right, so the next-to-last pick in our the penultimate draft. Pick. Yes, is going to be made by Tony Pauline. Once again, the Saints get this pick. They acquired it in the trade. They sent Jimmy Graham to CL Seahawks. And the selection here at number 31 for the Saints is going Tony, to be who, Tony? Tony. With the 31st pick, the New Orleans Saints select wide receiver Philip Dorsett from Miami of Florida. The Saints have shown a lot of interest in Dorsett in the lead-up to the draft. He's one of the true vertical threats in this draft and a guy that will also help the running game because once he steps to the line of scrimmage, opposing defensive backs will be forced to move back off the line of scrimmage. He'll be a perfect complement to Brandon Cooks, who's a very good underneath receiver, and Drew Brees should have a field day throwing the ball downfield to these two guys. Nasty speed. Nasty speed. You know, the Saints, they lost their last five games at the Superdome. Once unstoppable there. Now you get, yeah, you get, you get him on that, on that turf. Bill Dorsett. With, with Brandon Cooks. With Brandon Cooks. Yeah. That's, that's scary. That is scary. CJ Spiller. Oh, the nasty. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I believe that Perryman will go. Bershai Perryman will go ahead of, of uh, Dorsett. Uh, Dorsett here. But putting those two guys together that's like you're you're really creating something special on offense. Well, and that's one of the things is I I kind of I don't say, I like Philip Dorsett a lot. I think he could be a first round pick. I mean, we've talked about that in the past and you know his explosive speed, no question, but I think when you put those two guys together, I don't know that it necessarily makes sense for the Saints, you know, in terms of, you know, the two guys that are uh, you know 5'10" sub mm. uh, you know. I don't know. But that speed on that turf would be uh, fun to watch. Interesting. And I do believe that Dorsett is, is worthy of a first-round pick. Definitely. No question. But there's also, like, you know, 50 guys who are worthy of Could be in late first-round consideration. It's funny you said that. We'll come back to that later. All right. So <laughs> making the final selection here for the New England Patriots at number 32 in our Beat Rider mock draft, Phil Perry from Comcast Sportsnet New England. Phil, who will the Patriots select with the final pick? With the 32nd pick, the final pick in the first round of this year mock draft, the Patriots select defensive lineman Eric Armstead out of Oregon. I think this would be the most logical selection for the Patriots if he's still around. It looks like he could be the type of guy who actually goes in the top half of the first round, but if he's there, I think the Patriots would sprint to the podium to get this pick in. He seems like the kind of player who could be sort of a Richard Seymour 2.0 type, six foot seven, former basketball player. A little bit raw, yes. And, yes, you'd like to see a little bit more polish maybe, uh, especially in terms of his game against the pass and getting to the quarterback. But his potential appears to be really, you know, yet to be uh, figured out at Oregon. And, you know, if he could kind of chip away at some of that rawness that he showed in college and you get Bill Belichick to work with him, you get Matt Patricia to work with him a little bit, this could be a very special player you have down the line. And while the Patriots 
could use a little bit of size up front in terms of girth. They're missing Vince Wilfork, obviously, who uh, is off to Houston now. Uh, you know, Armstead, not exactly that type of player, a little taller, a little leaner, but, you know, you pair him with Dominique Easley on the inside of that defensive line. If Easley can stay healthy, you have Chandler Jones and Rob Ninkovich, you have Jabal Sheard now playing on the outside of that Patriots defensive line. You could all of a sudden have one of those NASCAR-type fronts that gave the Patriots a ton of trouble uh, when they played the Giants in, in both Super Bowls, actually. So Patriots get a little bit more athletic up front, get a lot of size up front with that selection of Eric Armstead at number 32. Well, Phil knows where his bread is buttered. He's <laughs> bigger. Bill is not passing up. Passing no, up. no way. Yeah. And you know what? It makes sense, too, because they signed his brother coming out of, uh, coming out of the CFL. Yeah. There you go. That's why the Patriots are the Patriots. Yeah. Just I mean, wait come there on. and collect the gold, so. That's a great pick for them. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, it's a great That's scheme a great pick fit. for anybody. Yeah, it's a great scheme fit. I mean, we, we've talked about Armstead. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a freak. So yeah. I like it. So let's go through some of the names who did not get selected here in the mock draft. And the first one that stands out to me is Melvin Gordon. Yeah. A lot well, of people. Uh, yeah. It's, it wouldn't be a complete shocker. But all the discussion, the consensus discussion has been that it's going to be Gurley Gordon yeah. going in the first round here. So the fact that he doesn't go in the first round. I would say Perryman is a bit a, a, a bigger surprise to me, uh, and Andrus Pete is a bigger surprise. But but just because of running backs, you never know where yes. running backs are going to go. With but Pete, Gordon is is an, a name to consider, obviously. Andrus Pete, there are some mocks of him in the top ten. Yeah, right. So yeah. they go all the way out of the first round. So yeah, I mean, and and this is this is why the the exercise is interesting because. You know, well, you never know what what these other people are thinking, uh, and people that say, "Oh, there's no way Andrews Pete falls out of the first round." It's like, well, right. we just we just yeah. showed you how. I mean, this, right. this is how it could happen. Um, but that being said, I'm I'm pretty surprised those two guys, uh, Grady Jarrett. I think people are talking about as a first round pick now. Eric Rowe didn't Eric go. Eric Rowe, Eric yeah. Rowe, Jake Fisher surprising too. I think, but um, yeah, those I think those are the three big ones though: Perryman, Pete, and uh, and Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I've been being the drum for Cam Irving. You have. Well. Yeah, you have. that's a good point. That I think he could go in the first round. Guy. I think so too. I yeah. certainly believe he can go in the first yeah. round, but I think Roe also. But that's you know, this is all, this is all these guys. Um, some it, of them, some people are gonna have to fall. So and before we started, I I made a list so just so I can keep track of who was still available. Mm -hmm. Fifty names was who, who was the, the exact amount of names I put down as possibilities in terms of guys who could go in the first round. Guys that have been tossed around. So you know, uh, you know Devin Funches is on that list. Grady Jarrett. I threw I threw as much as I don't uh, agree with it. Mario Edwards is on there. And, you know, obviously he's been thrown around as a possible first round pick, even as early as this or lately as this weekend. Uh, Kendricks, Bernardrick McKinney, Demarius Randall. I mean, there's a lot of guys that didn't go. All right. So that is our 2015 beat writer mock draft. Thank you for everyone who helped make this happen. So we're going to have our Eagles draft preview edition of the journey to the draft podcast presented by AAA coming on Tuesday. We have our chock full of content. We have our first Eagles Draft Central, the preview show on Wednesday, and then the first round. Our action kicks off at 7:30 p.m. on Thursday night. Dave Spadaro, Merrill Reese, live for the entire first round. Former Eagles linebacker Ike Reese, Greg Cosell from NFL Films. It is going to be a jam-packed show. Chris McPherson from Chicago. I will be in Chicago. Bo Wolf from 10 feet away from where we're at right, right over now. Here. Yes. Can we like tilt the camera to show? It's like <laughs> right there. So It'll be a, Thursday is always the, one of the longest days of the year leading up to the draft. The most fun, though. It is a fun day overall. From Speak for yourself. I'm usually, like, cringing in my chair just watching the no. clock tick down. The day drags the by. The day drags. Yeah. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. The day drags. The, it's leading up to yeah. the draft. It's, it's brutal. 
So, so we'll see. All right. That's going to do it. So thank you for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Thanks to all our guests. Presented by Triple X.